everybody, and welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music and arts podcast, and more specifically, during 2020, it has been a music podcast, and it surely is going to continue to be a music podcast come 2021, because I already have a lot of great people lined up to do the show in 2021. I'm very excited about the year that is coming, because God knows 2020 sucked. And speaking of music, if you liked the song that played the show in, that is it called... Burn Baby. It's by L7 from their 2019 album Scatter the Rats. And my guest today is the legendary Danita Sparks, who um, sings that song and is, uh, you know, from the great band L7. It was an honor to have her on the show. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a a little foggy-brained right now as I record this intro on Monday... I had surgery, I had a hip replacement, um, which is usually something that happens for much older people than me, but thanks to my good genetics, uh, on my German side, I had to get a hip replacement because I had no cartilage in my hip. So, and they say the Germans are the superior race, I think my hip disproves that pretty greatly. Um, I also feel like my voice hasn't been the same since I've... um, gotten out of surgery, I'm not taking the Oxycontin that was prescribed to me. So if anybody wants a uh, bottle of Oxycontin, please email me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com and I'll just send you some drugs illegally. Here, I'm committing a felony in the intro of my show. Um, It's been a, yeah, it's been really weird to uh, hobble around with a hip replacement. Also, though, uh, this show was recorded on my birthday, which was um, a great honor to, uh, a great birthday gift to talk to Danita Sparks on my birthday. Um, and speaking of, if you like Danita Sparks and you like music, please check out my library or go to my link tree in the show notes and the, and check out my past episodes. I've had a lot of legendary uh, musical guests, uh, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, Tim Presley, Harmar Superstar, uh, Anne Magnuson, just to name a couple, and and then of course some new artists that um, one day will be legendary, and it's it's been twenty twenty one or twenty twenty <laughs> has been a pretty great year for my guests. Um, it's been a lot of fun. So please check out my past library, and check out all things Matt Dwyer. Go to that link tree. It, if you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is way better. I don't care if you write reviews. I'd rather just have you tell friends. Be like, hey, this weird dopey guy talks to really cool people and uh, speaking of my show notes all things Danita Sparks all things we discuss are in the show notes there's links to everything so please support her and speaking of support um, if you love music please buy music on Bandcamp 90% of that goes to all goes to the musicians and it's a really bad time for musicians who can't tour so I've been trying to buy more music and be supportive and buy merch. And I think that's it for my show intro. I'm really groggy. I'm taking many more naps than I used to. At least, well, not when I didn't have kids, I took a lot of naps. But now that I have kids, there's no napping. There's no sleeping. But then now that I had surgery, I have an excuse to just go, hey, I'm really not feeling well. I'm going to go sleep for three hours. So... I don't know how long I can milk this, but I'm thinking maybe two years I can pretend that my hip isn't working right. I don't know. Anyway, um, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And uh, I will be taking a break over the holidays, so there's two weeks that I'll just be posting old episodes. That all being said, thank you very much, and please enjoy this conversation with Danita Sparks from L7. Oddly, one of the first things that when I was researching you, I discovered is that you and I, as underage teens, snuck into some of the same clubs in Chicago. Oh, all right. Uh, Neo was mostly the one. Uh, you went to Neo 950, I would go to, but I, th- I think our years were just a few years off. Uh, yeah, I used to think in the 950. And um, Neo's, I, 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 I loved to dance. I had an English teacher in high school who was not my teacher, but um, 
he walked into Neo's and I was go-go dancing. <laughs> <laughs> he still tells, he still tells, and, and I was like 17, I think. I was probably a junior. And he still tells his students this. Like, I'll, I'll get a Facebook message every once in a while. I'm like, oh, Mr. Jason said that, you know, he calls me his little Danita or whatever, you know, because, like, anytime he's got a rebel in his class, I guess he, uh, uh, tells that story, but uh, <laughs> were you were you working so, for Neo or were you just go go dancing on your own? No, like they, you know, it was. I, mean, I wasn't being paid for it or anything. And you didn't. Where? What part of the South Side were you? Like South Side Irish South Side? Uh, I am Southwest suburbs. Oh. Uh, but you know, I, I'm from Oakland. But you know, I worked in the city. Uh, once I graduated high school, my parents worked in the city. Um, so uh, our church was in the city. So we were very, um, we were kind of displaced urbanites in the suburbs. You know what I mean? We, uh, we were Unitarian and uh, we were just, and we were Democrats, not Republicans. Oklahoma was very Republican at the time. I don't know what it is now. But, uh, you know, very middle class. We had construction workers on the block, and we had doctors on the block. So it was like very, um, actually, I don't think there were any doctors on my block. But, you know, they didn't want me to move to L.A. They wanted me to go to college. I was the baby of the family, so I was the one who kind of got out. And, um, you know, I didn't even move out to L.A. to start a band. I just wanted to throw the... uh, art and life experience spaghetti against the wall and see what stuck. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I could have been, a, you know, I would have done anything in the arts, you know, like whatever, uh, act or photography or paint or whatever, you know, uh, whatever stuck I was going to do <laughs> what was, and stay in LA. Yeah. And you didn't know, this is what's crazy to me. Cause I would, I, maybe I'm, not as courageous as you, but you moved to LA and you knew zero people. I knew zero people. Um, I stayed with a friend of my sister's for a month in the heart of Hollywood and and, and on a couch in her single apartment. And, um, you know, within that time I found a job at the Egyptian theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And, uh, I found an apartment on Cherokee in Hollywood. So, you know, within a month, um, even a couple of weeks, I would, I mean, you know, I was, I was, I had no car. I was just walking up Vine Street and uh, applying for jobs on the boulevard, and that's that's the job I got. So, um, yeah, but I didn't know uh, this room. Uh, I didn't know this roommate. We became friends later, but uh, she was um, uh, a college uh, friend of my sister's. Was it terrifying at all, or was that? Did you have that sort of young? sort of fuck it attitude that I wish I still had. I had the young fuck it. I mean, right before I left Chicago, you know, I got a drive-away car, so I drove. I didn't even fly out here. And I drove with a crazy guy, a crazy friend I knew who didn't uh, end up staying, but um, uh, we got a drive-away car that we had to deliver to Pearl Springs of all places, but um, I was scared right before I picked up the car, I remember being uh, really scared, and my sister said, "This is what you've been, this is what you've been waiting for. This is what you've been planning." And so I was like, "Okay, you know," but it was scary. I mean, you know, driving fifty-six, you know, all the way out here was, uh, you know, yeah, crazy. No credit card, no credit card, no car, <laughs> um, nothing. I, I didn't have shit. I moved here with like having all my great friends move here before and it was fucking terrifying. And like, you know, uh, I, I had like two grand maybe. <laughs> it was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And it was just, uh, but you know, I, I, that's why I'm like, I couldn't imagine not doing it without having a support base. No, I did not have a support base, but, um, I was so intrigued with Hollywood lore and with um, surf lore that uh, I was just ecstatic. You know, 
I remember, yeah, I mean, fucking, I remember the first time I saw clothes on the line with a Mexican family uh, tending to their clothes in Hollywood. And I was just like, oh my God, this is fucking great. You know, like, it was. <laughs> You know, like I, I just didn't have that those kind of uh, you know in in uh, in Oakland or even going into the city. I didn't you know clothes on the line. You know, it's just like wow. You know, um, so it was. Uh, I, I, I loved it ever since I got here. Yeah, it's. I find it like I a very misunderstood city. And also, when people say like oh, L.A. sucks, I'm like, good, stay the fuck away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible here. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't God know. awful. It's often 30 below. A lot of people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's... I remember I was, at, I was at a party on the north side of Chicago once when I was like probably, I don't know, 18 or something. And there were these... Um, there was, there was this guy who had just come back from L.A., like this older dude, and he was, like, telling the whole party about how awful L.A. is. He's like, you never, even, you never even see the sun. It's sorry all the time, and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, but, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get what people's... I don't think it's a city you can get like on a weekend visit, but it's like, cause it's like each neighborhood is such an intricate thing of its own, uh, that, you know, it's like its own, a, a city with about 50 cities within, within it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been happy since I moved here and my first year was probably all centering around Hollywood Boulevard. I lived off the Boulevard. I worked on the Boulevard and, uh, you know, I didn't have a car, like I said, so I was just, like, walking the boulevard every day, and it was just great, you know? Like, I, it's... Hollywood Boulevard is still, like, my favorite, favorite uh, part of Los... You know, the public space of Los Angeles. <laughs> I just... I love it. Like, I don't know if it's me being romantic, but I feel like when you walk around that area, like... You, the history, you can just feel it. Like it's rich. Maybe that's me being poetic or whatever, but that's how I feel. Like it's you feel it. Yeah, and you know when I moved here, I lived. You know there were there were a lot of bookstores, like Larry Edmonds, and you know just I lived I lived kind of right off Book Row there. So there was culture, you know, and like um, and certainly you know I love you know Old Times Square too. I love that seedy, rundown, threadbare kind of trip. So that's you know. Um, I've always loved that about Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, a lot of the, like, uh, when I first moved here, I went to the powerhouse a lot, which was pretty... (gasps) I love the powerhouse. Fucking love the powerhouse. It was magnificently seedy, and... Yeah, it was great. I personally... I still still go there, but it's all, like, you know, there's a poster of X on the wall. It's like, okay, what, you know, like... Uh, you know, they they redid it. They they uh, they sanitized it, but they put all these like very cool underground bands on the wall, and it's like, you know what I mean? It's like I remember. I remember the red boots and the, <laughs> yeah. you know, like um. So yeah, I remember the old Boardners. You remember the old Boardners before they redid it? That was great too. You really got, yeah. You, got, you know, when did they you re- really got the sense of? I haven't been there in a like I moved here in two thousand one. So Oh, you moved here in two thousand one? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the eighties it Michelli's was I mean, uh uh Bordner's was just very um like it had probably been in the sixties or something, you know. Like that was before people were that was before a lot of renovations, I think. Like uh, I don't know. Yeah, it drives me nuts that they that they do that to places like the powerhouse. Cause I'm like, you're killing the fucking character of you, what makes the character of this neighborhood and city. It's like, if every, if every fucking bar has a chalk menu <laughs> and all those, yeah. it's just like, it, it's all the same now. It drives me in, in yeah. nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you, this is the other thing that fascinated me because you were part of the echo park scene. And that's where I lived when I first came here. And Echo Park in 2001 to the way it is 
now is a world of different. I was like, what the fuck was Echo Park and Silver Lake like before the the trendiness kicked in? Uh, well, um, I moved to Echo Park in '85. And uh, the south side of Sunset, you know, they always talk about like, oh, if you live north of Sunset, you know, that's like a bougier part of it. <laughs> it was all pretty run down, but um, <laughs> I, lived, uh, I lived south of Sunset. Uh, you know, gangbangers on my street. Um, but, you know, they, you know, I was a weird white girl with the dog, you know, it was like walk the dog at like 3 a.m. You know, it was just like a, probably the, a total anomaly to them. But, um, you know, a lot of Filipino families and uh, um, uh, Latino families and not many white people. I mean, uh, artists, you know, I worked at the LA Weekly, so like a lot of LA Weekly people lived in Echo Park, Silver Lake. So, but you know there were no there were no bougie restaurants at all. You know the only the only the only thing that was there was Tropical Bakery, and that was and it and it wasn't as um, cute as it is now. But that was that was always there. And Burrito King, and um, I was the yeah. I remember going into the Bright Spot when I first moved there because then they they fixed up the Bright Spot. But when I was there, it was like what I preferred, like just a shitty diner. And they had a picture of Joe. The Curly Joe, not Kurt from the Three Stooges, and Richard Pryor, which was really bizarre to me. Yeah, um, Bright Spot I didn't go to much back in the day, even though I lived very close by, um, and I lived very close to tax, and I never went to tax. So it was just weird. Like, I guess, number one, I didn't have money, you know, so it's like... You know, you don't go to restaurants when you don't have money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, Bright Spot would have been like, ooh, Bright Spot, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was very dark in there, very uh, brown. Everything was dark, paneled and paneling, paneling everywhere in the Bright Spot. But, uh <laughs> I'm yeah, a, I'm a weird. I I like paneling. I was, I, if I see wood paneling, I'm like, ooh, this is cozy to me. Well, then you would have loved my place <laughs> in Echo Park. It was chopped up into weird size rooms and all paneled with like really bad gold, something carpet, and uh, you know. Uh, were you sort of near like those old Victorian, like the Angelina Heights Victorian homes? Were you in that sort of close to that? Uh, no, I was. Uh, I was not. I was not. I was at uh, Sunset. I mean, I was at uh, Clinton and Bonnie Bray. Oh yeah, which is um, you know not bougie. You know, <laughs> even even Angelina Heights. You know, there were some people who had you know those, those some of the Victorians. Some of them by that time had been. Um, you know, some people, some unique bohemians were in those places fixing them up, you know. But, uh, yeah, no, I was in a, um, I was in sort of a ghettoized um, uh, Victorian. Uh, was it because even, like, in the early 2000s, Echo Park was this very, it was creatively vibrant. Like, I feel like people were doing, the DIY feel was still going on. Like, there was a lot of storefront galleries that would also have bands play and like it was this was it was it that kind of vibrant too with the scene in echo park and silver lake back then not in 85 it wasn't i would say in the 90s um it got uh you know you know like in 85 you'd open your windows and it would all be um uh i don't even know what the music is called uh, you know you know very um Mexican. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? I don't know what that music is called, but, um, you know, lots of parties, um, blaring that music, you know, and then in the nineties, it kind of switched from that and punk rock band. So it was very vibrant. You know, somebody was always having a party and you could hear the amplified music all the time. I don't hear amplified music in Echo Park 
like hardly at all anymore. I mean, you know, since COVID, I still wouldn't hear it, you know. So, um, you know, there's just been a change in the money in the neighborhood and people, you know, want their homeowners' rights if they pay good bread <laughs> for a place. They don't want any of that amplified music shenanigans going on. So, um, yeah, so, so it, it's changed. You know, listen, I, uh, I think, you know, as I'm older and I have a little more bread and can go to restaurants, I appreciate that there's restaurants in the neighborhood that, like, <laughs> you know, um, and I appreciate uh, that, listen, you know, there are hip neighborhoods in Chicago that are all guys wearing baseball caps, you know, and they're, and the Lower East Side or the Lower, you know, Lower Manhattan is a bunch of stockbroker guys wearing baseball caps. And like, anytime I get pissed off by some Trustafarian in the neighborhood, I'm just like, at least he's not wearing a baseball cap. We can be thankful for that. Chicago is, I mean, it's, that's the one thing I loved Chicago, but the frat boy sort of baseball cap on backwards mentality drove me fucking crazy. <clears throat> and I'm also... Yeah, I mean... Oh, I was just going to say, I'm the kind of guy they like to beat up. And they did. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, at at least, uh, you know, if there's, if there's money here or whatever... Usually, you know, a lot of times it's someone in show business or in the arts or something. You know what I mean? Like, of course, you're impoverished people who want to, you know, who want to have bread in in, the, in that scene, in the creative scene or whatever. But, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, progressive. Let's let's thank the Jesus that we're in a progressive town and a progressive and Echo Park. Is progressive. When Biden won the other day, I joined the revelers, and it was fabulous. You know, and everybody was partying in the streets, and and so I'm very thankful that um, I don't see MAGA hats around here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my wife and I look at each other all the time, and are, and we're just like, thank God we're in fucking LA. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fucking gift with the shit storm of this country. Yeah, where do you live? Well, we unfortunately left L.A. We because uh, we have two kids and we needed more space. And we, mm-hmm. I mean, like every, most people, we got priced out of L.A. So we moved to Monrovia. Uh huh. Do you know anything about the? I've heard the name. <laughs> it's, uh, on, it's the Trader Joe's headquarters is here. Not to brag or intimidate, but that's that's what. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, now you're now you're thrown down. Um, is it, okay, right. All right. Is, is it on the ten? It's east? like it's east or? of Arcadia. It's like by the foothills. It's uh, it's it's it was. Great when we moved here There was like a family owned record store And it was I was just like Oh fuck a record store Like we You know That I can walk to And then They started pricing everybody Out of here too And we live in a Shithole With a lousy landlord So um, Yeah (laughs) Well at least you've got Hey man You've got the weather You've got the sunshine And uh, You know You've got flowers Blooming uh, 365 days a year. So that not, was, not too shabby out there in Monrovia. Yeah, that's what I was thankful for when I moved to this L.A. Is like It's like you could be flat fucking broke, but there's always something you could do, and you can find yeah. cheap food. And I was like, this is like the artist's dream of like great weather. I had, my rent was 550 in Echo Park. Like, that's fucking unheard of now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How do you even want to hear what you paid in, for your place in '85? I think it was four hundred two bedroom paneled piece of shit uh, <laughs> with a porch. With a porch. I mean, that's, um, that's a dream. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was shocked that there was that the, the uh, not to keep referencing the documentary, but that you guys said that you made. F- at the height of L7, you were making $500 a month. I like I knew that record labels could be fucked up, but I was like, that was insane to me. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, yeah. Um, it's it, listen. Here's the thing with bands: everybody gets paid. Uh, all your all of your team gets paid before you do, and and most of them get paid their percentage um, before expenses. So, like right off the top, your booking agent, your manager. You know, um, our manager was making twenty percent. Uh, so, you know, that was a lot. And, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah. And we didn't sell millions of records. If you sell a couple million, you're, you're, you're going to be okay. But if you, if you fall through of, um, of, of that, uh, or a million, I guess, um, then you're, you're still, you know, you're still working for the man. That's, that's crazy to me. And maybe, uh, like, as a fan of music, like, to me, like, when L7 came out, everyone I knew was like, you have to fucking listen to this band. And to me, it you, you've always been influential and, sem- like, this c- presence. And I'm like, to, I, I'm just, to, I'm sorry if I'm not articulating well, but it's like, in my brain, I was like, of course they're selling millions. Like, Everyone I knew loved them, and maybe I was just in some weird circle. I don't know. Was that? Yeah, you know, um, we almost made it big, but we didn't, you know. So it's like, eh, what do you do? Um, but, a lot, you know, listen, a lot of bands, you know, um, you know, the Ramones didn't make it big until after they died. You know, not that I would. I would on that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, um uh, you just, you know, uh, it's, it's the luck of the draw. Hey, we've had, we had a great run. We reunited about five years ago. We're still having a great run, um, with that. And it's been, uh, you know, we get to play our own music. We're not doing covers per se. We're playing our own shit. We're getting along. We're having, we're having fun and we're traveling the world. So, um, no complaints, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, if you're doing it, that's, to me, like, when I was, I used to do comedy stuff, and I would tour, and I was, like, I was broken, but it was, like, I'm, like, I'm in fucking Scotland, <laughs> it's like, getting paid nothing, but, I'm, yeah. like, it, that was just the magic of it to me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Experience is great. And it's great to get paid too, of course, you know, but, uh, you know, it, you know, whatever (laughs) it is what it is. Yeah. Do you, is, has things gotten better with labels in that regard or are they still kind of, I have no idea. I'm not really in the, in the music business per se. Uh, we put out a record last year on Blackheart Records, which is owned by Joan Trump, and uh, she's been a great pal and, and uh, a, a great supporter. And so we put out an album last year on her label, um, and uh, so that's been cool. But, you know, people buying records, they want the vinyl, and we put out vinyl, And but it's not, you know, it's not nearly the numbers as it was, uh, um, you know, uh, before streaming or whatever, or whatever the hell is downloading, whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> I don't know, but um, yeah. So you know, I, I um, I feel like more people are, or at least like my friends are trying to buy stuff more because I think we see the value of supporting bands, which I think, which is important. I mean, especially now with COVID, when people can't tour. It's heart wrenching for me as a music fan. I literally worry about bands I like, <laughs> like being able yeah. to survive. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um, it's hard out there for a pimp, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for everybody right now. But yeah, entertainment's been hit terribly. Um, you know, the venues. Uh, we've done some. Um, I've done some benefit stuff for Save Our Sages, and, you know, we hope, listen, we hope we can even hold on to the whiskey and the rocks at this point, you know? Really? Um, That's terrifying. Well, you know, they're struggling, and uh, and the Troubadour, I heard an interview with a woman from the Troubadour the other night, and, 
you know, those are old, old clubs. So hopefully we can hang on to those because um, we are fortunate in the city that we do have those old clubs. Yeah, the, the um, for the, the legacy. Yeah, I bought a Troubadour T-shirt two weeks ago because I was like, I got to do something. There you go. But and it's the just the history of that place, like the, the the city, like that's what drives me nuts. I feel like at this point, the city or the government needs to step in because those are historical landmarks. Lenny Bruce got arrested at the Troubadour. I think it was like his first or second uh, arrest for obscenity was at the Troubadour. That's like a... <laughs> and where John Lennon heckled the Smothers Brothers. So that's an important thing to keep. And it's where John Lennon wore the Kotex on his head, I believe. Yes. So that alone <laughs> should have a bronze plaque. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, there, there should be a photo of that or a bronze statue of Lennon with a Kotex on his head. Yes, absolutely. Maybe they'll knock it down. You know, maybe <laughs> they'll all go out of business. They'll knock it down, build a heinous skyscraper there, yet put a bronze bust of John Lennon with the Kotex on his head. Now, that would be... <laughs> that would be quite the outcome of this whole thing. Um, to to back up a bit, when, because it was interesting, did when, in the early or late 80s, early 90s, did you, did everyone sense that there was something uh, going on or was everyone just like playing and being a part of a scene? Because it, because it's like, you know, that's one of the most influential eras of music as far as I'm concerned is the the, the 90s. Um, I don't think that there was much awareness in L.A. of the grunge scene that was going on in Seattle. We were already playing like a, a mashup of punk, metal, um, you know, simple riffs, like, you know, um, like a like a Flintstones metal, as, as it were. <laughs> With yeah, we were punk rockers, you know. So like our 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 particular recipe was kind of unique because we, you know, Susie and I were art punks on the art punk scene, and like, um, and we, you know, we were doing something, you know. Oh yeah, let's play these heavy. Uh, heavy bar chords and, you know, just really simple and yet we're fucking punks, but we're, you know, I don't know, it was, it was our particular recipe that I don't think that there was a lot of awareness um, of what was happening up north and, um, but we kind of collided with uh, some of those bands on the road and so uh, we kind of got sucked into that grunge scene and, um, you know, our first our first album was on Epitaph, which is an LA label, uh, that didn't go very far. Um, but then our second record was on Sub Pop, and they were very um, hip and happening at the time. So, uh, and by the way, uh, our Sub Pop album, Smell the Magic, is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. So um, there's a reissue, and they did vinyl, and it's. Um, it's got three extra songs that were never on the the album. So, uh, yeah, so that's cool. Did it seem natural to go into the grunge thing, or was it, like, because I feel like when I was doing heavy research about you, I felt, I was like, the L7 was a bit, like, ahead of, ahead of all of that, like, before that stuff started breaking. Am I wrong in in that assumption? I started the band in like 84, 85. I can't even, you know, it's weird. Like sometimes I think, no, we started in 84. And, and like, I know for sure we were around in 85, you know, but like, I, I kind of think, God, were we like jamming in 84? I can't, I'm going to have to look at my old diaries, which I haven't looked at in years, but, um, yeah, we were doing that. And then, uh, you know, Seattle was kind of starting to do that at the same time, but we did not know that scene at all. And you know what? Here's the thing. A lot of those Seattle bands were not from art punk, you know? They were, you know, guys who used to listen to metal who were then into punk rock or whatever. I mean, that's my kind of 
uh, I don't think a lot of them were like into Flipper, like we were into Flipper or like, you know, Frightwig and stuff like that. So, um, uh, yeah, so I don't know what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, we, we collected with them on the road, you know, we were, we were playing the West coast and we met a couple bands that were on sub pop and yada, 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 yada. Yeah, because when I was in that, you know, and when I was discovering this music, like to me, it was like there L seven was equated with grunge. But when I learned about it, I was like, oh, they really weren't. A, it was just similar. But to me, it's like you know, and you were ahead of it. Quite frankly, is how I felt. Like I feel like those bands really didn't start until later eighties, like eighty seven ish. I know it's a couple years, but to me, it's yeah. I don't know if I'm yeah, but I, yeah, but I, I yeah, but but I find it incredibly doubtful that they even heard us. You know what I mean? It was just happening up there. You know, I, I don't think that I don't think that they had heard us or heard of us. You know, probably till about 1988 was when we collided with that scene, but. uh and we had already put out an album, you know, and and stuff. So, uh, yeah. Um, I'm. How did the? Uh, I'm a Charles Nelson Riley fan, <laughs> and I Ooh. I saw his one man show in New York City, probably circa 2000, and I was interested how you got involved in doing the soundtrack for that. Um, I didn't do the whole soundtrack. I did a couple pieces on it, and um, I knew the filmmakers. And um, uh, you know, they said uh, that they were going to film his one-man play. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I was so excited. I was a huge Charles Nelson Riley fan, and so it just happened like that. They already had a guy doing the score, and so, um, but. Uh, they they put a couple of, of my instrumental tracks in there as well. Did you get to meet Charles Nelson Riley, or was it after? I did not, but I have a signed skateboard really? uh, signed by Charles. <laughs> signed by Charles Nelson Riley. So uh, you know, I'll consider that. I saw the play uh, when they were filming it, but I did not meet uh, Charles. Um, but I saw it, uh, where was it, in the valley somewhere? Burbank? Maybe it was in Burbank. Yeah, I saw it, I saw it on a whim in New York City. And I, I, my friend and I went to go see something else, and we couldn't get in. And that was, like, down the street. And I was like, yes, why the fuck are we not seeing that? And it was, yeah. I mean, it was incredible. And uh, it was just such a... Uh, great show and such a hilarious talented man and I had like no idea that he like directed operas and you know to me as a kid he was the guy on Hollywood Squares and other shows I had no idea that he was such a artist yeah amazing amazing life and um, um, unfortunately you know that film it's a very good film um, The Life of Riley it's called uh Unfortunately, they were going to film him for three nights, and he fell ill on the second night. Is that the second night or the first night? So they only got, you know what I mean? Their, their footage was very limited because they didn't get a night that they were supposed to get. So it's, it's um, you know, it, uh, it could have been, I think, even more compelling if they had had uh, that, that third night of filming. But, um, yeah. Very, very interesting guy, and um, it, was, it was cool to be a part of that before he kicked the bucket. Is um, and is L Seven going to be doing more albums in the future? Um, hopefully, I think we, we're probably going to do an EP um, this year, next year, because we're going to need something to kick off. Uh, before we start touring again, we had put out a, um, a cover of uh, a song by Joan Jett called "Fake Friends." Uh, we put out a, we put out a, um, a forty-five in the spring, and we like in April, March, something like that. And we're supposed to be playing Australia 
shortly thereafter, and then the U.S. and Europe after that. So, you know, it's it's good to have a out before you take off a tour, so I'm sure that we'll, pro- we'll probably do an EP of some kind and definitely put out something for the next record store day. Um, that always is fun to do. So, uh, yeah, we'll do that. And, you know, we were contemplating doing a streaming concert, but then uh, COVID started spiking. And we were like, nope, that's not happening right now. So, yeah. Um, a lot of, ba- a lot yeah. of bands, have, I just watched uh, Mets did one a couple months ago that was really great. Um, but And Tim uh, Rutelli from. Caliphone did one, but it was sounded like just this massive undertaking to get everyone healthy, like quarantined, and then to do a show with cameras and stuff. It just seems like a monster achievement. Yeah, we've got too many health problems to be hanging out with each other right now during this fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? It's like uh, it's just too risky. Like if you're in your twenties or something, and you're just hanging out, and you're like. In your fucking friend bubble, that's one thing. But like, we're fucking, you know, we've got too many issues going on <laughs> to do that. Does do you feel now that like I, to, the the influence that L Seven has had? Because I feel like there's a lot of newer bands that definitely sound influenced by you. Are you aware of that? And like, because to me, it's like uh, y- 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 y'all are. Uh, one of the most seminal bands of that era, like, and influentially also just politically influential. Like there were so many things that I had no idea that your band kicked off. Well, I think, um, I think there is an awareness to a certain degree. And I, and I definitely think the fact that we reunited, um, very much helped our, public profile because before we reunited a lot of people had forgotten about us and um we weren't we didn't have a lot of presence on the internet um so definitely uh the the reun- the, the reunion reminded people of of our band so um that's really cool i know i know a lot of people in bands that say that they were influenced by us and so that's really great. And I think we also inspired some people to, you know, do, you know, uh, contribute uh, politically to play benefits and stuff like that. It was it was very kind of in vogue to do that in the early 90s, to play benefits and to have very large benefits. Like we founded Rock for Choice in the early 90s and uh, raised a lot of money for the uh, Feminist Majority Foundation. So... And I think that that was uh, meaningful to a lot of people, too. So very proud of that. And, um, yeah. I, it, I kind of feel... I thought with uh, Fuckhead as president for the last four years that I thought maybe we would, music would get a little bit more political again. And I feel like it didn't as much as... I, maybe I didn't find it, but I, I was kind of surprised there wasn't a, a resurgence of that, of benefits in political music. And, and did, did you sense that or no? I did. I did sense that. I was, I was surprised. As my art friend, my artist friend was saying, you know, when Trump got in, she was like, well, you know... Terrible politics, terrible political climate is is good for art, you know. And it's like, well, what, what, what happened, you know? So, um, uh, I, I yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm sure that there are lots of bands who did benefits for stuff on kind of a small scale, but um, I don't know uh, about larger things. And I mean, God, we had Rock Against Reagan in the '80s. We had rock. We had rock against racism. Rock against Reagan. Uh, you know. So yeah, you'd think that there'd be a. Um, and yet, you know, whatever. I, I don't know. Um, also, just on a. Uh, you, did you guys tour with Catbutt? And how was my? How was Danny Bland to work with? <laughs> I'm only asking oh, that because he's a good friend of mine. 
You know what? I'll say this about Danny Blanche. <laughs> Danny Blanche. Danny Blanche. Like, when the shit hits the fan, Danny Bland has your back. And I mean physically. Like, like I've seen that guy, you know, back in the day, you know, if, if one of our uh, entourage, you know, we were just this traveling organism of two bands, uh, L7 and Catbutt on the road, and our friends, our hangers-on, and uh, our, our buddies in cities and stuff. But, you know, I've seen him literally leap out of the booth and come to the aid of some fight <laughs> that's going down. So, uh, yeah, that, uh, I love Danny for that because I, I always remember him just physically flying out of, bo- like, a booth to um, come to our friend's defense uh, uh, on a couple occasions. So, um, yeah, um, love Danny. Yeah, he's he's also done the podcast. He's one of my three timers, three timer guest. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, is there anything that you need to plug before we de- uh, end this? Or and I'll also put everything in the show notes. But if there's anything that I might possibly be unaware of that, of of yours, yes, um, indeed, I did a. Um a full series of a show called the high low show. That's right. I was watching Uh, it yesterday. Yeah. So, um, I'm very proud of that. Um, it kind of shows my, uh, you know, when when I first went to LA, I stumbled into the performance art scene. So I was doing performance art, uh, you know, kind of, kind of performance art with like a humorous bent to it. Um, so this was something I did in quarantine and, uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it's funny. And I got to work with a lot of people like Danny Miller from Surfboard and Terry Genderbender from uh, Les Butcherettes and Arrow DeWile from Starcrawler and David Yao from, uh, you know, from... Uh, Jesus Lizard. He, yeah, I was, Jesus Lizard. I love David Yao. Jesus yeah. Lizard. Yes, and I got to work with David Yao and... Um, who else is on it? Uh, Skin from Skunk and Nancy and Simone Sanji from Banana Rama. So we did um, remote, uh, karaoke remotes and, um, it, it, you know, uh, off, off-brand off karaoke and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I did that. I did eight episodes and it's on YouTube. So look for that, the High Low Show with Danita Sparks. It's great. And it's your... That that was the other thing that really grabbed me about your band, and and is how funny you all are. Like I was watching the documentary and fucking cracking up, like I was watching a comedy. <laughs> like you, and and you're very funny in 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 the show that you were just talking about. Yeah, you know, we we uh, when we get together, we laugh a lot, and we have we have a good time, and uh, you know, and sometimes. Listen, even touring back then, there was nothing to do. There were no cell phones. There was no internet. You didn't have laptops. So it's like you were forced to be with each other. And sometimes it was terribly shitty because you were pissed off at each other. And other times it was really fun. You know, and you're just, and there are inside jokes that we have that nobody else knows that are just, you know, they're, they're harmless, but they're hilarious. And, um, you know, just being in a van with three other people for months on end, you know, shit's going to get weird and, and stuff will get funny, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, you know, hopefully that's, that's, I'm happy about that. Yeah. This show's really great. And I'm glad what, what, uh, sparked that to happen? Um, the, the Hilo show started because the, uh, I was talking with Linda Perry and her partner, Carrie Brown, um, about maybe doing a concert together or doing something. She's, she had a company called We Are Here going on. And they were like, well, we're, just, we're, starting, we're starting live streaming television or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll do a show. Like, I still think I was drugged into this but because um, I don't really remember the conversation. However, that was a home for it, and I was like, you know, I, I'm at, I've got a side band called Blue Man Group, and we had footage from like four years ago. So I was like, oh, Blue Man Group will be the house band. It'll just be this kind of 
absurdist sort of, um, you know, show. You know, I wanted it to be more of a variety show with more high art going on. Like the first episode, I have Lydia Lunch uh, doing a performance, which was amazing. But, um, yeah, so that's what I did, and that's how it started. And um, we did eight episodes, like 20-minute episodes. So that was that was quite an undertaking and very stressful, but I did it, and I'm happy. Are you going to bring so. it back? Are you going to do it again, or is that it? I may rethink it because I'm really tired of uh, taking down our curtains and then putting them back up for the show. You know, like constant, like the curtains are filthy. Like we'd have to take them down to to turn them around to you know because I because I enter the show like it's the Tonight Show or something. So you know those curtains were just constantly in use uh, one way. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it really tore up our uh, living room and our whole uh, place. But so yeah, I, I mean, I may rethink it to be smaller, but I don't know. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, just this is my birthday today, and this has been <gasps> a great gift to have. So I thank you, Matt. Matt, happy birthday, man! That's fantastic. <laughs> for listening to conversations with matt dwyer please remember to go to the linked tree uh link in my show notes and support me on patreon if you can or just tell your friends about the show that would really mean a great deal to me tell people about the show and follow my social media and again if if you like join the patreon become a subscriber and get bonus material videos blogs all kinds of stuff thank you very much for listening